National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Catholic University of America's president has announced he is stepping down at the end of the school year. John Garvey's time at the university has widely been recognized as a period of strengthening Catholic identity and shoring up the academic offerings in the intellectual Catholic tradition and the cultural tradition of the church. His work has paid off. Student retention has increased and fundraising goals have been topped at record levels. President John Garvey joins us today to tell his story about not only building up a university, but about falling in love with it. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. I'm joined today by my colleague, Registered Senior Editor Joan Frawley Desmond, who's going to co-host the show with me today. John Garvey was educated at the University of Notre Dame and Harvard University Law School. He taught at the Notre Dame Law School, and he served as the dean of the Boston College Law School. He's been president of Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. since 2010, and he's only the third layperson who has held that position at the university. And in his letter to the Catholic University of America students uh, this week, and I guess to the whole community, uh, he... He, excuse me, in his letter to the students, there are about 5,300 students, and to the rest of the community at Catholic University this week when he announced the end of his tenure as president, President Garvey said, I became president of the Catholic University of America in 2010, hoping I would contribute something to build up the institution. I did not foresee how much I would fall in love with it. So, President Garvey, my my thoughts and my questions um, to you today, uh, my very first one is, how did you fall in love with the university, and what does that mean to you? Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation, and and please tell me about this love story. Thank you for having me, Jeanette. It's really good of you, and it's nice to hear and talk with Joan again. um, One of the first questions that the board asked me after offering me the job was uh, where did I think we would live? And I said, I I thought we'd like to live on the campus if that was possible because we'd like to be near the students. And I think that's the first part of falling in love with the the school, getting to know the students and seeing them uh, at mass in the morning in the Mm -hmm. dining hall, uh, working around our uh, our offices, um, you know, being in classes that I taught, it's just, uh, it's a really inspiring thing for somebody who's, uh, my age and whose own children are now having children, um, to be around young people, uh, and see their energy, their interests, their, uh, the things that they love doing. Absolutely. And of course, this, this past couple of years, um, with the COVID, uh, pandemic, uh, Catholic University really kind of led in a way in, in keeping campus open, open when a lot of other places, uh, especially in the District of Columbia, didn't. And, um, and so I'm sure that gave you an even more of an opportunity <laughs> um, to fall in love with those students who were probably very grateful to be back uh, on campus. Yeah, it is related to what I was talking about. I, I, it's a very, there are certain things that you can do on Zoom or uh, on Skype, you know, information can, you can communicate information and, uh, see people to wave to them. But for the kind of life that students 
undergraduates are living in college, the sort of growth that they experience between 18 and 22, that's not something you can do on on uh, video. Uh, right. You've got to be alive and live together with them. So it was a really difficult period for for all college students and for all uh, all young people. Um, so it was really wonderful for us to be able to bring all our freshmen back in the fall and, and everybody back in the spring of last year. We were more open than anybody else in the district. That's great. So back in 2011, after uh, your first year, uh, you know, as president, Joan Frawley Desmond spoke with you. Uh, she t she did a piece called "On the Record with John Garvey, CUA President," which covered a range of issues. So it covered issues of uh, Catholic higher education, your vision for that, and also concerns to um, religious freedom among Catholic universities and other institutions. So, Joan, this is uh, one of the reasons I wanted you to be a part of this conversation was because. You led that first conversation with uh, President Garvey back in 2011, and you have had many, many conversations with him since. Uh, I think I think that that repertoire you've built uh, is seems uh, to be it's fitting to allow you the chance to to lead this interview as we enter his as he's in his last year there. Please, Joan. Thanks, Jeanette, um, and it's so nice to speak with you, Dr. Garvey. It's just a great. It's a great honor, and I, it is so many, so many great memories of watching you on the public stage, visiting the university, attending lectures that you gave on topics having nothing to do really with your administrative work. Not to mention covering your your legal arguments in a variety of forums. Um, so you're heading into your last year as president of CUA. What are some of your hopes, and maybe some unfinished business? You know, the reason I took the job. Uh, uh, above all, was um, Jeanette was saying how I had worked at uh, Notre Dame and Boston College and here, but I spent the first half of my career at public universities, at the University of Kentucky, where all our kids were born, and uh, the University of Michigan. But I became interested in Catholic higher education just about the time that the church started paying careful attention to what its universities were doing. Ex Corte Ecclesiae was published um, in 1990, and for the next decade, the American Catholic bishops um, worked at writing a document, an application of ex corde ecclesia in the United States, and their 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 hope was to um, to revitalize and, uh, in some cases, save Catholic higher education from going down the same path that America's great Protestant universities had gone down. You probably most people probably don't think of it this way, but. But uh, Harvard University and Yale University and Princeton and University of Chicago um, all began as religious schools, as congregational or Presbyterian or Baptist schools. But um, over time, they kind of pushed religion to the periphery in their divinity schools and then more or less forgot about it altogether. Harvard has just hired an atheist as its chaplain. And that's the direction American Catholic higher education uh, and other Catholic universities around the world were heading. Um, this was really important to me because I, I love higher education. I love Catholic higher education, and I wanted to do something about it. So uh, I, I worked at that in my in my other positions at Catholic schools and at Catholic University. I, I thought uh, I might have a chance to do something about building up the Catholic intellectual life here by. Um, by serving as president. So that was that was my ambition, and I hope that's a path we continue down. 
Yeah, it's remarkable if you think about it. Ex Cordia Ecclesiae came out in, 19, in 1990, and here we are in, ni- in 2021. I mean, so much has happened since then. You commented on the Holy Father's document saying that um, while a lot of that document has inspired a debate over, you know, heterodox uh, teachings in Catholic universities and all, he said, What's, it's actually primarily more concerned with what a student would find at a Catholic university that he or she could not find somewhere else. And of course, now, after all these years, there's kind of a prescient element to this, too, with, you know, what's so unique now about a Catholic university at a time of woke politics, cancel culture, the decline of the Western canon? I mean, a lot has happened on, you know, over the past two decades. Yeah, it has. Uh, um, and when it came out in the past three decades, actually, uh, um, the time when uh, the encyclical was published, there was a lot of uh, excitement uh, over the request that um, faculty in theology uh, and philosophy who were teaching courses related to the church's magisterium receive a mandate from the bishops. That, uh, so. Um, people tended to think that it was a document primarily about that. It wasn't. Um, it w- the most important sentence in the document was St. John Paul saying that at a Catholic university, um, if they're not to lose their Catholic faith, a majority of the faculty uh, should be people who themselves are Catholic. Um, it's not a bit, uh, and, and the American Catholic bishop said the same thing, that uh, they shouldn't just be Catholic and uh, have been baptized, but be committed to the witness of the faith. Um, it's about the kind of intellectual life that we're building here at the university, and it's every bit as important in literature classes and uh, in music and art and drama, uh, in what we do in our nursing schools and um, what we do in our business and law schools as it is in theology. So finding people to join in this enterprise is the primary job of a president and deans and department chairs. I think that's a great point that that you raise. I mean, you have been there and you've done uh, so much. I mean, I think of the two schools that uh, you opened uh, within the university, uh, the School for Business and, uh, of course, the school that that, that deals with the arts and and culture. And those both play into what you you just said. It's it's about um, more... Um, than just a, a kind of strict Catholic intellectual tradition. It's just, it's how that plays out in um, the way these men and women are going to leave the school, right? And and enter into uh, their professional lives and their um, social lives. And both of those schools strike me as really helping form them in that. You've done that through the help of hiring and uh, uh, key key helpers, and you've done that through the help of of donors. Um, who has helped you along the way uh, is one of the questions that both Joan and I were very interested in. One of the best lessons in humility that you get from <laughs> being in a position like the one I'm in is how little you actually do uh, to change the institution. It uh, The work is done by other people. You know, in my case, I've been fortunate to have some of the most capable vice presidents and provosts directing the the academic affairs, raising money, uh, tending to our uh, physical plant and the the health of our employees, looking out for our students and 
in in ministry and athletics and housing and so on. Um, and uh, a step closer to the students, um, the people who work in student affairs, the faculty who teach them in classes, that that's really what makes the change in the university. And we've been, uh, I think what makes the university special is the people we have doing those jobs. Absolutely. We've been talking to President John Garvey of Catholic University here on Register Radio on EWTN. I'm Jeanette DeMello, and I'm joined by Joan Frawley Desmond, who has been leading this interview. Go ahead, Joan. Um, You know, one of my favorite initiatives of yours was a real shot across the bow pretty early on, and that was a return to single-sex dorms for freshmen. What was the reaction to that, and you know, why was that important for you? <laughs> you know, uh, this is something that I announced on my first day of work. It was July 1 of 2010. I was going around visiting uh, with people, that, uh, and I had a visit with um, the woman who was then our uh, vice president for student affairs, and I said, okay, so now uh, we're going we're gonna to be going back to single-sex dorms. I'll, I'll give you a year to figure out <laughs> how to do that, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we're going to do it. So, and, and that was my role in that. I just said, we're going to do it. A year later, um, we did have a plan, and the plan was to phase it in over three years so that nobody was surprised by it. Everybody came here knowing this was going to be the situation. So year one, it was, it was uh, true in the freshman dorms and so on. But um, the, the morning uh, it was announced, I was in California raising money, so we were three hours behind the East Coast. Um, and I, I opened my mail, and I got a letter from, uh, it was an email from a, from a young woman who was a doctoral student at Yale, and uh, she said, um, gosh, uh, I just love what you're doing there. I wish I'd had that option uh, at Yale. I had to live in a co-ed dorm and imagine seeing somebody in the bathroom that you didn't want to uh, see in the morning. I, I, I thought, well, that, that's really nice. And then all of a sudden, the phone blew up. And, and I thought, gosh, um, what, if, uh, what if I destroyed our business plan? I mean, what if nobody comes here next year? <laughs> all the students who said they were coming to Catholic and decided that, uh, yeah, they'd rather go somewhere else. Uh, so for about a couple of weeks, it was all the rage. Uh, I was on, um, I was on TV for CBS, for Fox. I was on national public radio. I was on, uh, in the Washington post in the, um, and, uh, one of my daughters, uh, Oh, I wrote a piece about it for the wall street journal. Uh, and one of my daughters was working in London at the time. She said it, it was, you know, they keep track of this sort of thing. It, it was the most, frequently read article on the Wall Street Journal that week in Western Europe. Uh, so people were all fired up about it. Um, I had an innumerable conversations about it. And what I kept saying was, give me one good reason why we should put them together. I, I, I mean, I can give you three why we shouldn't. Uh, first of all, just some uh, modesty when you're sleeping and bathing and dressing is befitting for people this age. But uh, there's also the fact that Binge drinking and hooking up rates are double and triple what they are uh, in single sex dorms. So there's a and and those people are mentally, you know, they they have more mental health problems. They do worse in school and so on. So why should we put them together? And people would say, well, you know, they're going to graduate in a year and they'll be living uh, side by side um, in one apartment next to another. And I would say, yeah, like what? Like it takes practice? I, I <laughs> it, it was, it turned out to be a nothing burger. You know I mean? The students were yeah. happy. Um, and yeah, no, it was a big win. 
um, it was an even bigger win because there's this clown at um, George Washington who sued me about this <laughs> sex wow. discrimination. I'm not sure who I was discriminating against, but uh, <laughs> that went on for a couple of years and it kept appearing in the papers. And I, I said to the head of uh, communications at the time, we got to put this guy in retainer because he's really, he's the best marketing uh, professional we've had. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, in a sense, what it really does is it's also exposed the kind of element of consumer culture involved in Catholic, not Catholic education per se, U.S. education, U.S. higher education, all the gyms, all the things that a lot of students want. And so I think there is a sense of fear, like what will this lead to if we really upset what we believe people must have? And, and a lot of young people going to college feel that this is a part of it. So there is a kind of subversive element to it um, beyond all the practical things, which is saying, think again about your next four years, how you want to spend it. And I, I just thought it was a fascinating, very countercultural response to, as, as I described it, a kind of consumer-oriented perspective for a lot of higher education. Um, another topic, though, that has really fascinated me is, I mean, here you are, somebody who, you know, is a, was a top lawyer, you were an advocate for, before the Supreme Court, you, you know, uh, taught, it turns out, uh, you, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, now a justice in Notre Dame. So you, ha you were intimately familiar with constitutional matters uh, for many, many years in your professional life with your friendships, um, you know, academically. And then here you are, when I met you in 2011, and we have the HHS contraceptive mandate, which got kicked off then. So that suddenly pivots you into another perhaps unexpected role, not to mention you're in Washington, D.C., the seat of our national government. Um, and suddenly you're playing a role expressing, you know, your views on religious freedom, uh, bringing Catholic University into the equation why was that important, and how did that help define your tenure at the university? It was important for two reasons. First of all, um, it's not a fight that we went looking for, but uh, it came to us, and I got involved in it because it was going to mean that we were going to be handing out contraceptives to our students at a time when we were trying to teach them uh, about the virtue of chastity. Uh, so I just didn't want that to happen. But... Uh, the second reason why it was important to us was that we're the National University of the Catholic Church, the place where the church should be doing its thinking. So it was incumbent on us to say something to the culture about whether this was a good idea or not. And we thought it was a really bad idea. So uh, I, I got involved in uh, in a number of, of uh, not just discussions, but uh, active um, and meaningful debates about religious liberty. Um, in the first instance, because it matters to our students, and in the second instance, because uh, it's part of what our faculty um, need to educate the world about. I'm going to step in here, Joan, for a second. Um, this is Register Radio. We've been talking to President John Garvey at Catholic University of America about his announcement that this will be his last year at the university as president. Uh, President Garvey, as I mentioned in my intro, you are the third lay leader, so the third leader of, Pre of Catholic University that has not been a priest or cleric. Uh, this is important. I think, has there been 15 presidents in total? Is that correct? Yeah. 
Okay, so this is an important uh, style of leadership, an important difference in leadership. And, and actually, I want to know from your perspective what you see was the difference in this type of leadership or how it helped, um, I guess, build up the culture at the university in this moment. You know, it was something that the, uh, the search committee was actively looking for. And hmm. um, when, uh, when they hired me, I remember spending a night with Cardinal Dolan. Uh, he was on the search committee, and I stayed with him in New York, and we had uh, breakfast. And he was saying, you know, we prefer all things considered to have a priest. And I said, I, I, I happen to agree with you about that. It would be a good thing for the church's university to, uh, to do that. I, but, you know, if you can't find the right person to do the job, I, I'd be happy to serve. I found when I came here that there were things that um, Father O'Connell, now Bishop O'Connell, did as a regular part of his job that, you know, I, I, I wasn't capable of doing. We mm -hmm. have a year with a Mass of the Holy Spirit, which he would celebrate on behalf of the community. And same with the baccalaureate Mass or weekly Masses with, with the students. You know, I, I attend them, but I'm just a guy like uh, like the students in the in the congregation. So that, that's a very different thing, and it's an important thing in the life of the church. So um, so there are real advantages to having uh, a priest as the president. I found in my time that there were also things that I could do that a priest couldn't do. I mean, take the business of going to same-sex dorms. I, um, Especially at a time when the church has a big target on its back on issues of sexual abuse, um, it was possible for me to say uh, to the students, look, I know what I'm talking about. I'm married. I got five kids. I now have 25 grandchildren. Uh, I, uh, I know what sex is about. I, I sent five kids to college. I know what goes on in college. Don't okay. give me that stuff. We're going back to single sex dorms. <laughs> and nobody could uh, dispute what I'm saying. Um, not just in what I say. You know, my wife lives here with me and she's been as present to the life of the students as I have. we walk around campus, we eat with them, we, uh, you know, we have them for dinner in our house, we'll, uh, we'll have uh, students in the President Society working for us, kids will come to our home uh, and knock on the door and ask to borrow our sleds or walk the dog, we, we, have, we have a rule of thumb that uh, students can come and sign out the dog, that, that way we don't have to take them <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so uh, we see them a lot and you know, most of the students that we have, their vocation in life is going to be to be married couples. And so it's a uh, having, being here as a couple and living on campus gives us an opportunity um, to try and model for the students what being married looks like. Um, that's a really humbling thing, too. You know, I mean, you're, you're tempted to have, take one of your fights public and you think what uh, 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 you're setting a bad example in front of the children I, um, so uh, so it, it's been it's been possible to do things like that too you know to talk to people um, who might um, yeah yeah let me just leave it at that sure Joan would you like to close with a with a, a final question yeah, I think, I mean, we have so many questions for you, but hopefully we'll have some other opportunities to speak. So let's end with Plenty the final Joan, I, I'm, I'm reminding people, I am not the substitute teacher. I am here until July 1st. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, maybe the final question is, what are your plans, of, what are the plans of foot going forward? We've heard something about you and your wife practicing your Italian. Yeah. Uh, well, so... Um, 
Universities are not like other kinds of business. In some ways, uh, we don't do as good a job at um, at succession planning. Uh, I have uh, worked with our vice presidents to think uh, for each one of them, if you get hit by a bus, who's taken over the next day and uh, what's going to happen. But for the president, um, you know, the, the culture is get out of the way. So uh, I'm not involved in the search for my successor. I'm not going to have a uh, say in it. I, um, and, uh, and when that person arrives, come July 1st, uh, I'm going to get out of the way for a year just to let, let them get their feet under them and take control. Um, but I'm still an employee of the university. And, and the year after that, uh, we have a program in Rome. In fact, we have a campus in Rome where we'll have, gosh, a bunch of students uh, there, as many as 70 or uh, 80 students. So uh, every year we send faculty members over there to be the faculty and residents at the Rome campus. So Jeannie and I are going to be uh, the faculty and residents at the Rome campus. I think I'll teach a course on uh, comparative law. Uh, and I think I'll also teach the virtues course that I usually teach to freshmen in our honors program. So yeah, we're trying to learn Italian. I'm, I'm failing right now, I should say. <laughs> I've had the courses Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. And, and uh, so far, uh, we're more than a month into the school year, and I have been out of town uh, for every class that we've taught. Uh, except yesterday, I was in town and speaking to the faculty at the fall faculty lunch. So, I'm not, I'm not doing very well at showing up, but I am doing my homework. <laughs> well, I'll say bocca lupo, which they say as a good luck uh, in in Italian. Um, I, I'm so grateful for this conversation, and I know there will be many more throughout this year as we talk about what you're continuing to do uh, and what your legacy has been. Uh, President Garvey, thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. It's so nice to talk with you. Joan's always nice to talk with you. Thank you again. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online. Thanks for joining us on Register Radio here on EWTN. For Jeff Burson and myself, Jeanette DeMello, until next week, God bless you. Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. Call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully.